Thank you for visiting the openword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaefer. Let's, uh, let's look at Philippians chapter 3 and finish up our discussion here. Father, thanks so much for this day and for the opportunity of study. I pray that you'd give us insight as we study now. Thank you for, for all that you've done for us. In Christ's name, amen. Um, we're in Philippians chapter 3, and we got down, down to verse 17. We're talking about verse 17. And uh, really, verse 17 through verse 19, um, he's talking about uh, the enemies of the cross of Christ, those who don't walk the way we walk. Join in following my example and note those who so walk so you have us for a pattern. The point there is, it always helps to follow somebody with skin on. Now that doesn't mean you, you worship these people and it doesn't mean you set them on a high pedestal or anything like that. It just means that we all benefit from those who've been down the path before us. And uh, there's great benefit in that, um, observing a godly model. And we need to find who those models are. And we all have a few of those in our lives, I think. Um, people that we esteem very highly. And I also think, just, just as an aside, that the goal of our life should be to be a kind of model for others. You know, what kind of model are you? You know, you may never be a pastor, you may never be a Bible teacher, but your life can be a model to those around you. And it is. It's either a good one or a bad one. Um, the second somebody knows you're a Christian, they're going to make an assessment of Christ. And what kind of assessment is that? Um, hopefully it's a good one. Um, I've seen a lot of bad ones. In fact, sometimes I wonder if Christians even read their Bibles when you look at some of the things they do. You have to ask yourself, do they even read it? Um, find a good model and also not only will you know who walks right, but many walk, of whom I've told you often, I'll tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. This is people in the ministry who set their mind on earthly things. What are some of the earthly things you can set your mind on? Money. 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 Yeah, that's a big one, right? People set their mind, you know, at... And pastors, quite honestly, um, pastors or the clergy fall susceptible to the money issue. You know, what is your benefits package? You know, the question is not are you called to this ministry, but what are you going to pay me? All right. In fact, one of the, it's interesting in the, in the New Testament again and again, it says one of the things that you want to be sure that that a spiritual elder or pastor does not love is money. Now, if he loves money, what's, it going, what's going to happen? He's going to compromise, isn't he? Somewhere along the line, he's going to compromise his, his ethics. He's going to compromise his message. He doesn't want to upset Mr. Big's, you know, Big Giver or something like that. So money is a snare, all right? And so you've got to, be, you've got to start right out of the get-go you know, one of the models, I think, for all of us is not to love money. But money is a problem. Uh, another one is fame. You know, a lot of people like to be well-known by everybody and their brother. 
I remember driving over the San Bernardino Mountains. I was listening for 30 minutes. They were talking about this one. They were going to give this some guy this award, some pastor, and I didn't know who he was. Or anything. They're going on for 30 minutes, you know, about you know this thing. You know, it's almost sound like if this guy didn't exist, the kingdom of God wouldn't have happened, kind of thing. And finally, you know, they call up Mr. Oral Roberts to receive that. Almost drove over the side of the mountain. But um, the whole point there is, you got fame. People want fame. You know, how big's your television show? You know, how many how many people do you listen have listen to your radio? How big is your church? You know, so fame is something that that people pursue. It's something else. Power. Power. That's that's. You know, that's a dead end. But they want to have influence. They want to be the shakers and the movers. And um, this, just to explore this a minute, how can, you, how can you increase your power as a, in spiritual leadership? How can you increase your power? Be, be totally crass. How, how can you increase your power? Be legalistic. Well, not... Because you can do it in a negative way to get people to follow you. More spiritual. By, by putting well, religion be there. I'm talking about negative ways. Oh, negative ways. Say what people would have to say. Well, you could be you could be an ear tickler. I mean, that'll do with fame and power, right? You can just tickle people's ears. Yeah. I'll tell you one way you can do that, make other people look bad. All right, and, and, and that's, that's interesting because, you know, I look around today and I see some certain theological fights that happen out there, and they're over stupidity. But everybody's calling everybody else a heretic over stupid stuff. And all it's doing is you're trying to put down your, 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 your competition to increase your esteem or your power, your position, you got to make the other guy look like a heretic. You know, if you can brand him as a heretic and get him thrown off at some radio stations or whatever, that increases your power base. But there, there that happens out there. It's like in politics. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's mudslinging in politics. And I've seen it. You know, I've seen, I've seen guys that that are that you know I mean they, they're saying the same thing but they're calling everybody else they're calling each other heretic over some minute interpretation of some odd passage of the Bible and it happens all the time I've seen it I watch it happen it, it happens in churches in churches as a deacon you can make yourself look good by making others look bad yeah and people do that um, money fame power I mean these Covetousness, you know, all this stuff drives people. And, and those are not the kind of people you want to raise up to spiritual leadership, and they're not the ones you want to esteem. I'm going to go back to the, what is it, the 80s with the Jim and Tammy Baker, you know, uh, air-conditioned dog houses. Excuse me, I was there. <clears throat> you were? Yes. The dog house was not. It wasn't? It was air conditioned, but it wasn't worth two cents. Mm. And it was because the dog had just had some surgery done on it. I worked there for several years. My son was there and he told me that he checked out the dog house and it was not it was not worth anything. The dog had just had some surgery done 
and they had stuck an old air conditioner. Oh, okay. Anything. See, one of the things you need to learn is know what you're talking about. Make very sure when you hear mm -hmm. these things. I've heard that from several sources. Yes. See, I was I wasn't you there. Know. My son checked out the doghouse, the whole thing, and the air conditioner wasn't working a hoop, but the dog had just had some dogs. Well, that's interesting. Never heard that before. But the dog did have an air conditioner. Yeah. Yeah. But one. But I think one of the things that still that still needs to be said is that there is a large number of people that are in it for the money, and they and, and the whole point is when you look at their lifestyles. You, and you see an extravagance there. I mean, I'm not saying the guy's got to be poor and drive a beat-up Volkswagen, you know, with bald tires and all that stuff. That, that's certainly not the case. But today I see, I don't see that a lot of, in a lot of places, a lot of times. I see these high-profile televangelists, you know, look at Larry Lee, look at uh, what Bob Tilton, some of these other guys, multi-millionaires. Yeah. And, and they're still yelling for more money, more money, give us more money. And, and you wonder, you know, where's their heart of ministry? And then, and then you go over and look at like a Billy Graham who makes 70000 a year and he pays his own travel. You know, and, and you wonder who, who are the ones that are in it for the money and who's in it for the ministry? And the point is the Bible says that there is a lot of people that are in it for the money. They're in it for what they can get out of it. And after a while, it becomes sort of a self-perpetuating machine. You can't shut it down. You've got to keep the machine going. And, and what it does is it, I mean, it says it right here, their end is destruction. They're, they're in it for what they get out of it. And, and it's interesting, um, you know, going back to the Jim and Tammy Faye Baker in there, look at where they're at today. You know, I, I sit there and I look at Jim and... For, for, for everything I can, I can see, I think he's really turned around from what I've been able to see. She'd be married, right? Yes. Um, she's still wearing the clip. Yeah. yeah, I think he, is he still in jail? No, he's out. Is he out of jail now? He's out. Yeah. But, but what I'm saying is, he, he, he apparently, the, he was genuine. Now, he got caught up in this thing, I think. That's what he said. But, but apparently, he was genuine. But there are others that aren't genuine, you know. know. Yeah. Alistair Begg has been, I don't know if you've heard him preach this week, but he's been talking about that, the love of money and ministry and all that. And um, he made a good point that I think what you're saying, yeah, a lot of guys may go in it for the money, but as well, we, for those of us that go into ministry, have to realize that we can fall into it. Yeah. Just as easy. We may not have the intention. Right. It's 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 easy to start thinking that you that you're something when you're nothing. It's very easy. You know, you put a television camera on somebody and give them a national TV program. It's very easy for that to go to the head. And uh, you really got to watch yourself. I think you got got to really watch yourself. You got to surround yourself by people who remind you that you're human. Yeah. You know, it's, it goes back to, you know, like you're just describing the category of uh, money, fame, and power, you know. Uh, for instance, you basically can um, take a ministry and, and, and kind of like oversee it 
and, and see when the individual is, is more dedicated to the life-changing and regenerated hearts of mankind. If, if you can see an individual who's more looking for to rebuild the community as putting in, um, um, what you say, poverty homes and poverty-stricken situation, who's dealing with evangelism, you can basically tell when a preacher is, is living on the, the, the top of the hill and his congregation and the community around him is disintegrating and he's pouring nothing back into the community. That's, yeah. You can upgrade a preacher when he's not just on TV talking about uh, my living conditions or my status or my building or my, my parishioners or this and that. But when you can hear him stand and say about helping not only feed the hungry, I know there are some, some deluded people there, but I'm saying that I'm saying that when you see people building situations and going out in the community and taking the money that God has designed to be set for, that we reach out and help the poor and yeah. the poverty stricken, but yet we're still free. Well, you just send me your money for your check. I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's true. When you look at how God living mm -hmm. at a God's condition, yeah. and you see people who are throwing prayer requests in garbage cans, and people are coming behind and taking them out of the garbage can and while they're on, in the Bahamas and Jamaica and uh, different places on the island, they back relaxing. Yeah. The money and prayers are not even being prayed over like they're saying. I understand what you're saying. Yeah, you, I just, you need to be a good steward of your, of your finances in the sense that give to the worthwhile ministries. Don't give just to anybody. Right. Yeah. But you also need to, and I was there for seven years at PTL, and I saw what went on. And you also need to put people around you. This got so big, so huge, that you would not believe. Mm -hmm. I was there with 50,000 people with candles by the lake. It was huge. But you have to put people around you that are going, because you can't do it all. That one person can't take care of everything. And the people around you can do all kinds of strange things. And I know that's yeah. part of what happened, because I was there when it happened, and I know what was happening. As I look at as I look at Jim Baker, he appears to have turned around and appears to have really he admitted that he okay for a long time. Yeah, he got caught up in things. Was there and, and stayed, and the teaching was fabulous. Then when it got to the point where he put the train track on it and drove the train around and decided to make a theme park with everything else we had, when right across the road over there, that was another big theme, mm -hmm. regular theme park. My tide money went somewhere else. Yeah. The, it, too big, and you're going to get bigger and bigger. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and <coughs> I, I guess it's a warning for all of us. Yeah, to a large degree. It's a warning for all of us. Oh, yes. um, it, it's a warning. Well, I, I think what happens, th this is why this is so dangerous. You can get to the point where God's Spirit can leave a ministry and you don't know he's gone. No. Because it's too big. It's See? And you need to be careful with that. And that's 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 hard. That is. It's hard. I think accountability is a big thing. What's that? Accountability. Yeah, accountability. I think that's that's very important. And see, a lot of these people start very well. Like most of us, when we come to, to know the Lord, we come as children, as babes. And our desire is to, you know, to know God and to know Him more and to you know, love Him. But as um, we think, we know, 
you know, we grow bigger and bigger and our heads just keep blowing up. And uh, soon enough, we begin to tell ourselves, no, we are, you know, we are something. And um, soon enough, we have this spirit of, uh, I mean, this is, a, this is a free enterprise in society. So preachers who start small begin to build empires and uh, free enterprise, and soon they, they disassociate themselves from people. Yeah. Disciple uh, them, you know, help them, pray for them. And uh, they, they keep isolating themselves, they become hopes and you need you need to in every ministry you need to really keep your focus on what you're there for and you got you got to really make that a high priority and you need some people around you that 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 you're truly accountable to yeah I mean truly not not just well you know that's the board yeah but that that board is all your buddies and friends you know they're not going to tell you what you need to hear they're going to tell you what you want to hear you need to get people around you that, that really have some accountability. Because it's too easy, it's just too easy to get caught up in things. You know, the human nature is there. And, and some good men can start out and wind up like Jim Baker there with, with a mess on his hands. And uh, not even sometimes know how it happened. Or, or, or to get to the point where you think that, that God is really in this when really he's not. You just got the machinery working. And, uh, yeah, it, it's just very tough. You need to really, all of it, and, and by the way, it goes for all of us in whatever ministry we're in. Don't think yourself as indispensable. Amen. You know, you're not, you're not, the, the kingdom of God does not depend on you. All right. Yeah. Jake. Because what, because here's the point, what these guys do what he's talking about here is they're setting their mind on earthly things. What is earthly things? Well, that's the stuff. They're not setting their mind on heavenly things. It's on earthly things. And then it says here, for our citizenship is in heaven. See, see the whole point of, of, of why it's so ludicrous for us to set our sights on things down here is this is not where our citizenship is at. And what is citizenship here? I mean, that's, that's where you, that's your eternal home. I'd look at it, I have to look it up. But it's, it means citizenship. In some versions it's conversation, but it means citizenship. All right? And it's in heaven from which we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our home, our, our goal, our, and we're going to see this in Colossians chapter 3, we are set our affections on things above. Yep. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Well, if your treasure is in stocks and bonds and buildings and cars and real estate and all of that, where's your heart? It's there. All right. Um, and he says here, Jesus Christ will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed as glorious by according to working whereby he's able even to subdue all things to himself. This is one of the four rapture passages in the New Testament, by the way. Talking about waiting for Christ to come back who will transform our body. And we go over to 1 Corinthians 15 and see that transformation as well. And the whole point there is someday Christ is going to come back and we're going to go home with him 
We're going to be transformed. And that is where our eternal home is. That's where everything we value is at as believers. So why set your affections on all the stuff down here? All right, it's going to burn. It doesn't mean you can't have nice things. It doesn't even mean you can't enjoy nice things. Just don't worship it. Don't follow after things. Therefore, my beloved and long for brother, my joy and crown, stand fast in the Lord, beloved. It's interesting, my joy and crown. Paul's joy was found in the people of the churches that he established. He had great joy in watching these people mature and grow. And it says here, not only is he there, they are not only are they his joy, but they are his crown. That's they're his reward. Now, that's interesting. He's saying that one of his eternal rewards, in essence, is the people that he has had an impact on. That's one of his rewards. Crown there is the victor's crown that was won in the games. In the Ithmian games, they called them, which were precursor or Olympics. You, were, you received a laurel wreath, a crown, a reward. And he's saying, you are my reward. The, the people themselves are his reward. And then he gets to the heart of the matter. I implore Euodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Who are these women? We don't know. Aren't you glad God's not writing Bible today? I just like your name in it. Now, now, Don and Jack, I want you to get along. You know. Yeah. <laughs> well, don't worry. He's got after the men a lot too here. So. Let me apologize two hours in advance. As you can tell, my sense of humor is terrible, and I'm in one of those moods tonight. So I'm sorry. <laughs> But here you have two women, and, and Paul is saying, look, be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, we already talked about this a little bit when we were in chapter 2. But whatever difference they had was not doctrinal, was it? Had it been doctrine, what would Paul have done? Yeah, he would have corrected it. He said, look, Seneca, you know, Yodi is right, there is a resurrection, or whatever. You know, I mean, he would have just come out and said it. He wouldn't have, you know, just say, you know, get along, you know, be, be, get along. So it, it's not anything doctrinal or theological. Rather, it's just relational. Get along. These are two, evidently, two strong-willed women who worked in the church, labored in the church there. And they were having such a significant difference that it had started to infect the church. And Paul said, I want you to get along. It started to actually affect the church. Now, we don't have that happen today, do we? No. All right. Yeah. All right. Um, what you say? What did you say? She says all the men today. Yeah. Yeah. It's both. It's both. But uh, what you see today is you see the same thing. I see the same thing. Yeah, but most of the women. <laughs> I think I'll keep it generic 
insensitive here and just say, or gender insensitive, just say, it's all of them. People. And in the church, what you have is, you have people that just don't get along. Now, again, this, now what we do is we try to make it a theological issue, don't we? Yeah, yeah, you're right. We try to make it some theology. Well, you know, you got to understand they're a little bit, you know, they're a bit odd in their theology, you know. And so we try to put a spiritual spin on it. But the bottom line is we're just not getting along. And Paul is telling them, I want you to get along in the Lord. Now, when we don't get along today, what's, what, what, what do people do when they don't get along in a church? They fight or leave, right? Like you said, I didn't get my own way. Yeah. Do they just... You know, that's why I want to, you know, some of the people that I've, I've run into in the past few years, I want to just grab them, set them down, tie them in a chair, and just read the Bible to them. <laughs> Not even have to interpret it, just read it. <laughs> just read it. What's it say? Get along. Be the same mind in the Lord. <laughs> that goes under power. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, Reverend Woodard, he's passed a long time, he's an anesthesiologist at the hospital, and uh, black man in karate. So he decided that he's going to go spend the night at the church. So he stayed, and the guy come in, Woodard takes it, he was on the phone with me, he takes his shoes off, he said, he's here now. He takes his shoes off, and he walks, and he kicks, and I, he had a, like a, you know, the, the headphone set, the phone, and um, he grabbed him around his neck and said, Now, nah, you sit down and listen to me. <laughs> I want you to sit in that seat and you could hear what I got to say. <laughs> he took his Bible and gave him a Bible and he started reading to him right there. And the guy was one of his best church members right now. What? No, the best member of the earth. Hmm. Sure did, and, and God stand up and testify about that today. You know, I got to But the whole point here, the, the whole point here is is the encouragement that Paul is making to these two women to just get along. And I think the same thing could be made to a lot of people in the churches today. You know, there are people in this church that I don't necessarily like. I mean, I, I don't want there. You know, I don't want to hang around with them on a day off. <laughs> but but the whole point is, I'm still to get along. We're just talking personality here. We're not talking. Just understand personality. There are certain personalities that you don't get along with. All right, but you're still to get along in the Lord. Don't let that become some issue of division or some something to split a church. Yeah. And see, that's what we do today. We allow this, these things to grow and fester until they split a church or until we get mad and leave, we go somewhere else and we start all over again with some other set of people. All right? And what we do is we trade members. It's like uh, professional football teams. You know, they trade members. You know, I'll give you two disgruntled deacons for, you know, two disgruntled choir members and one player to be named at a later point in time or something like that, you know? And we just trade them, you know? Uh, it's nutty, it's, but, but what it is, it's, it's people who just don't get along, and they don't get along because they don't get their way. And it has nothing to do with theology. It has everything to do with just they are brats, little kids that don't get their way.
And Paul not only does that, he says, I urge you, true companion, and this is Sisyrgus, Sisygus. It's a very interesting name. But it might be an actual man. The, the actual um, word here is, is Sisyrgus, and it could be either true companion or it could be the name of a man. Name of somebody in the class or in the in the church, and it may be that. But he said, "I urge you to help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life." Not only does Paul ask the women to get along, but he asks the church to help the women get along. Mm -hmm. He said, "I want you to help them to get along with each other." And what's interesting, you know, I, I, here's a question. How do you help people get along? How do you, help, how do you not help people get along? Taking sides. Taking sides. Taking sides. If I, if I had a dollar for every time somebody wanted me to fight their battle, I'd be a millionaire. Is that your final answer? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, people come up and they're, they're upset about something and, and, and they want you to do something, why don't you do something, and you want to ask them, well, why don't you do something? You're the one upset, I'm not upset. What they want you to do is they want you to take their side. I had a friend of mine who, who, who's, who left this church and he's not gone to church now for work going on four or five years. And all goes back to the point, I didn't take his side. He was wrong when he did. But I didn't take his side. If I was his friend, I'd take his side. And I said, you want to take your side even if you're wrong? No, you take the, the side that's right. Yeah. You don't take sides. You, you know, if you got two people not getting along, don't get in the middle of that. Encourage them to get along. Mm -hmm. Don't take sides. Don't, and don't feed it. You know, don't, don't keep the thing going by feeding one side or the other, trying to, trying, to get the, trying to keep things stirred up. And yet we do that a lot. I've seen, that, I've seen it happen here at Open Door. I've seen it happen at other churches. My church. All the churches. Last Sunday. Pardon? You know, last Sunday, right here, you know, I was caught up in the middle of something. And this person wanted me to... I agree with him that this person was wrong. You know, when we went out as a team and I said, no. Yeah. Leave me out of Fight your own fight. Don't fight somebody else's battle for you. For, you know, for them. If they don't want to, if they're upset enough to talk to you about it, then they're upset enough to do something. If they don't want to do anything, why should you get involved? And what he's saying is, I want you guys to help these women get along. Encourage them to get along. In the Lord. And, and then he says, uh, verse 4, Rejoice, Lord, always again I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is in hand. Back to the old key word, rejoice. And then your gentleness. The, the, the word there, gentleness, some have moderation, I guess, in some of the versions. But it means your gentleness. Mildness. You're not like a bull in a china shop. You're not just throwing your weight around. You know, you got some people just tear through like a whirlwind. Gentleness. And part of, and I'll tell you, a lot of putting up with people is just being gentle with them. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, some people, you know, I'm trying to be gentle with them out of my mind. I'm choking them to death. But you've got to be gentle with people. 
And that's tough. And it says here, let it be known to all men. Um, that's not only people in the church, but the people outside the church. What's it say about the church when all the church has is a bunch of people fighting all the time? What's that tell the world? Go to the bar. At least they don't fight at the bar. You know, why, why, why go there? And not only that, the Lord is at hand. There's, there's an imminency here. God is, God is close. You know, what do you want to be doing when the Lord comes back? And see, that, that's interesting. Just coming back to our discussion a few weeks back, I don't have time to get involved in all the pettiness in this church. Because I'm busy. i got stuff to do. I really I don't have time for this stuff. I don't have time to get caught up in it. And, and other people, since they're not doing anything, well, that's, you know, they, they have the time to get themselves into trouble. And why am I so busy? Well, the Lord's at hand. I don't know when he's coming back, but I like to be doing something for him. Yes. Our problem is a lot of times we, we, we're going to serve the Lord tomorrow. What about today? What about now? The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. Don't, I like the paraphrase, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Be anxious for nothing. Um, we have a lot of anxiety out there today, a lot of worry. People are worried about everything. They're worried about the stock market. They're worried about the economy. They're worried about whether the Indians are going to actually go to the World Series this year. Fat chance. But uh, the point is, we're worried. We, we live in a society. Why do you think people take Valium? Why do you think the drug industry is making so much money? People are worried to death. They're worried to death. And, I mean, what is worry? It's a lack of faith in God. That's all it is. Just call it for what it is. I'm concerned. No, you're sinning. Okay. Um, the whole point, I remember, you know, yeah, Don. I don't know. That's, that's almost too easy and too bad of an answer for me. I think it's, it's very easy to sit here in the United States and say that. But if you are one of the families who are homeless with no food and everything else over in Kosovo or in Russia or somewhere, uh, it's a little bit tougher. Yeah. I'm not to saying that faith, you know. I'm not saying it's tough at all. Absolutely it is. What I'm saying is it's easy for us it is. to have faith. Because yeah. we've got everything. Yeah, there's people in the third world, I've been in Africa, I've been in the Philippines, you see people have nothing, and they put, they put my faith in shame. Because they, they, they don't no. have it. Yeah. All they can do is put it Well, I would love, I'd like to disagree with them. You may do it. I'm supposed to get You're not allowed to argue. I'm just kidding. You know, she's got a dummy in her face. I think it's, you know, you could have plenty, you know, as regards to work things, and be, you know, major in worries. I think some people who worry a lot of things. Wow. Too much. Mm -hmm. You know, who have investments? They don't sleep because you know, they, 
No, they, they are the ones who are they are the ones who are going to jump off the bridge because they are they are invested in stocks and stocks that are going to plummet at night. Um, a peasant in, in Zambia, if they have food for that day, you know, they are grateful. They pray you know, to God and that they go to bed. In the morning they wake up, you know, it's another day. Because they are they are not uh, investing in five years' time, and they are not taking five years' time. <coughs> they are taking a day at a time. So sometimes, um, even you know, just looking at myself, I think the things that bother me now would not have bothered me maybe when I, I didn't have. I wasn't in, in the situation that I'm in now. So you know, don't say that no. You know, you have much debt because you, know, you have a lot. I don't think so. Yeah, I agree with that. Wholeheartedly, for the simple reason that people, people in the U.S., um, our problem is, is that we have too much, and we, we see here we get too fat, we become complacent. Right. Is our problem? Right. If anything, if anything, you know, we almost have it harder. I heard about a, a missionary. You were telling the story about a missionary who told John MacArthur that yeah. he would be praying for praying for us because we have it so hard. And he's like, well, what are you talking about? You know, you're in Russia. There's, persecu there's persecution. You don't have homes or poor. This is that kind of thing. He goes, yes, but you have too much and you've got too fat. Yeah. And that's what it is, is that we've got so complacent in our walk with Christ is that we forget to see the big picture. And that it's easier to depend on God when you have nothing. Yeah. <laughs> because because when you have so when you have so much that you have so much distraction in your life that you cannot see God, that that's what that's why the wall is up because you're blind. Yeah. You can't see. That's true. But the thing is just how I I'm just saying I agree with her and them. I agree both sides. You know what I'm saying? You know, I, I agree with No, even though the New Testament is just it. the way you said or made the statement that I just had to disagree with it. You know? The point is, a lot of times. It's his, it, you know, he's having a rough day. I agree with both sides of the story because what I'm saying is, in a sense, yes, we have an abundance over in, in the United States. And and what Don is saying that we cannot speak over all of a whole group of people. Some people may may uh, may worry about their next meal, and, and and you know some people may worry. How can I pray to God when I'm here starving today? I'm just saying some people may worry. We can't speak for an overall group of people. So what I'm saying, I'm just signing the whole part. Worry. Worry hits you whether you're poor or whether you're rich. Yeah. It's just you worry about different things. But the thing is, really my, 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 it's been my observation the more you have, yeah. the more you yeah. worry. But the difference is me, with me right here, this is what I'm saying. A person that has much and acquire what they have overnight and lose it the next day become candidates for suicide sure. and alcoholics and drug addicted. But those who don't have anything but those who have to hustle and scuffle and bustle, bustle for what they have. They can appreciate with not having anything at all. So I'm just saying, so that that's what I'm saying. So what I'm saying, people that have things already, because most of us, we don't seek the first kingdom of heaven, we seek the things and not the kingdom of heaven. But I'm saying, it's like I'm saying, people who have and acquire what they have overnight, 
They recover. Okay, for an example, the Israelites would have never appreciated if they would have took the four-day journey. Instead, God directed them the route for the 40-year journey. They would have missed all the historicity of what was in that scripture, what happened with Miriam tuned up a heart, what seeing matters from heaven. This is that's a word. Yes, it's a word. I'm just saying they would have missed all of that if they would have took the four-day journey. They would have never eaten that. They would have never been able to eat quail from toasted bread. They never, would have never experienced all of this that took place in the wilderness. So sometimes God has to take us a 40 year journey mm -hmm. for us to come out and remain faithful. Well, I, it, I think it goes back to, to another sort of um, idea that goes along with worry, and that is gratefulness, yeah. which I think we lack a lot of I'm today. That's one of the things that I, I really tried to cultivate in my own life. I have a lot. I have a real good job. I make a lot of money, but I'm thankful every day I drive into work that I have a job. Mm -hmm. And I'm thankful that I can I can work. And I'm thankful that I can think. And I'm thankful that I can walk and that I can I'm you know, I try to cultivate gratefulness in my heart to the point that quite honestly, I mean I, I don't want anything else. I mean you know, I I have every you know I it's frustrating every Christmas. Donna says, well, what do you want for Christmas? And I can't think of a thing in the world that I want. Really, and there's not a thing in the world because I have what I want. I, you know, and, and part of it is cultivating a, a heart that's just grateful for every day. Grateful for every new day. Grateful for every new opportunity. Instead of self-imploding and wondering, well, why, why don't I have more? Because the problem is, you get it, and then you got to maintain it. That's the problem. You know, um, yeah, I've got a lawn tractor, and i got to maintain the stupid thing. i got to sharpen the blades every year, and I got, you know, it was easier when I had a little postage stamp lot and a lawnmower. I could push it and be done. Now I gotta, you know, I gotta spend all my time doing this other stuff. You know, um, the more you have, the more you have to worry about. The more you can lose, the more concerns you are. Um, and, and it's a whole, it's a life attitude that needs to be cultivated over a long period of time. And whether you're rich or poor, the Bible still says, be anxious for nothing. Yes. I mean, that's the bottom line. It doesn't matter. It just says, don't worry. And Christ talks about worry over in Matthew 6. Don't worry. Don't worry. Um, but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Ah, ooh, okay. See, there it is, the thanksgiving. Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.